Hi everybody and welcome to Weekly Teletext Art. Fortnightly. I know that's a little bit confusing. Weekly Fortnightly, yes. Sorry to mention Fortnite in the stream. Yeah, that's all happening next door, mate, I can tell you. I'm surprised I've got any bandwidth left. Hi Carl. And indeed, as Pixel Blip says, it's Ian, aka Ian Irving. Hi, how are you? Hello, I'm fine. It's wonderful to finally have you on either the podcast or this live stream. How does it feel? <laughs> How does it feel? A bit strange, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here and to have a chance to talk to you. Yeah. How is it strange? Is it because we're sort of treating you like a celebrity? Well, yeah, I'm not a celebrity. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just somebody who did a lot of graphics on Teletext. Well, I'm sure to everybody here in the chat, and indeed us, myself and Carl, you are definitely a Teletext celebrity. In fact, I've written up a short introduction for you, if you want to hear it. If anybody out there doesn't know exactly who Ian might be, I've written a short intro here. <clears throat> if you've ever seen a Teletext animation, there's a very good chance that Ian Irving had something to do with it. Arguably the world's first teletext art superstar, Irving pushed the boundaries of the medium's artistic capabilities in its formative years. As a member of the original CFAX team, he revolutionized the service with a variety of colorful headographics, cartoons, and illustrations as the medium grew from a novel experiment to a cultural and technological tour de force in the 1970s. By 1986, Irving was instrumental in the design team at Intelfax. It was here he created and developed the much-loved character Forty the Dog, as well as numerous animations for Fortel and Hands Up, a teletext television series teaching children British Sign Language. And there you go. Thank you very much indeed for joining us tonight, Ian. As we say, we've got a lot of your fans here in chat, and indeed there are some questions coming in. But first of all, how was that intro? Was that about right, uh, do you think? Well, I'm a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the things you mentioned, the things that uh, are done in Teletext, animations, and I've always tried to make Teletext look as professional as possible. I think that's always been my my aim. Hopefully, I've achieved that. Well, uh, I certainly think you have. Well, how easy was that to make Teletext professional in the early days with the type of tech that you had at your disposal? It was interesting. I mean, in the very beginning, we were hardly aware of the graphics capabilities. As we hadn't been started very long before we latched onto it and found that Teletext had this graphics facility that could be played with. That was great fun. And we all dived in because it was a fairly apparently straightforward, simple kind of graphics to create. But the results were very mixed. And I was particularly concerned that it shouldn't look amateurish. That was my kind of aim. But having said that, the graphics were was the, a kind of sideline. And the main thing was the teletext content and developing the news and the information and everything that teletext was setting out to provide. So 
graphics took a back seat, really, for a while. So did you join CFX as a journalist? Yeah, and I joined as a sub-editor. Mort Smith, who you may know, he was the first. Uh, I joined about a week or two later. We both came from journalistic backgrounds, yeah. So how long was it before you found the graphics mode? You say it was a sideline. How long did it take for CFX to settle down to the point where you could put some graphics here and there? I, th I suppose it was only a few weeks before we, we started to get to grips with it. But bear in mind that there was no easy way of putting the graphics together. You, you had to experiment. You had to know which key would um, provide which combination of pixels so that took a while to get to know and then of course there was the complication of control codes and color changes and all that sort of thing so it would probably only a few weeks before we started experimenting with, with uh, headings and cfax logos and that sort of thing excellent yeah it's just um one thing ian that I was interested to know. You mentioned that you had the key-specific shapes, I think, on the mosaics. In this day and age, with all the editors that we have online, we can nibble the graphics. So, like, you've got a, a two by three matrix, and we can nibble those graphics just with six keys. Um, yeah. So, with what you were doing when it first came out, did you have, like, was it just, like, key-specific for per shape? And that's what you're saying. You had to memorise those shapes rather than make a yeah. block and just whittle it away. That's it, exactly, yeah. So, well, that, that's incredible. There's got to be quite a few combinations that you have to remember from, from the keys on the, on the console. Yeah, it became second nature after a while, like a couple of years, but fairly simple to remember things like a comma would give you a... Um, I hope I'm getting this right now. I haven't forgotten everything, but uh, <laughs> uh, if you wanted a, a line... A straight line underneath a bit of text then you'd soon find out which key would give you that particular shape so it was really just trial and error and eventually uh, it became kind of second nature he never never had a proper crib sheet as it were no. during your time at the uh, teletech services were you ever mentoring other people coming in and making the journey easier for those people as they're making their way into uh, teletext? Uh, yeah, that would be part of it. I mean, uh, newcomers would be given a bit of training on uh, on the system, yeah. And were there many sort of revisions to the hardware through your tenure there? I mean, were if you looked at the perhaps one of the last types of equipment that you worked on compared to the first type that you worked on was there quite a difference or did the equipment stay very much the same all the way through well it changed certainly changed radically from the very beginning because all we had then was a, a monitor and a keyboard and the output was a, a tape punch so you had to punch a paper tape take it down two or three flights of stairs to the central apparatus room at tv center put it through a tape reader, uh, and that, then it got transmitted. Fortunately, that didn't last very long, especially as the tape punch had a habit of tearing the, the tape. But then when we, we got moved into a purpose-built office, 
on the roof of TV center. And we had a dedicated computer which stored magazines and sent to transmission and whatever was to be sent on. The keyboards too went, underwent a transition. Some of the first ones we had had metal casings and they were extremely vulnerable to static electricity. So you could type up a page of news or whatever and then touch the keyboard in the wrong place and it would vanish. Oh, so no. Then, so <laughs> that was uh, well, somewhat annoying. I mean, your best nylon shirt from Brentford Nylons and, uh, yeah, all of a sudden you, you hit that and, and zap, the, the story's gone. That, that's right, yeah. Well, Carl, it's funny you should mention shirts because tonight I'm wearing a shirt with your design on it, and um, oh, Christ, you can yes. see that there. And I believe and, Ian as yes. well might be wearing a themed Teletext shirt. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Yes, uh, I don't know if you can see. Uh, oh yes, Fortel. Fortel, Fortel sweatshirt. Yes, worn especially for the occasion. Oh, awesome! Oh, brilliant. Sorry, do you have many more items of Teletext merch lying around the house anymore? I've got two or three 4T mugs. Somewhere I think I've got a Fortel, a miniature Fortel van, a model kind of matchbox type van with Fortel on the side. Well, I have one of those as well. Mort Smith very, very kindly gifted it to me at one of the block parties. So it's downstairs on one of the uh, mantelpieces has pride of place there. <laughs> um, sorry, Carl, you were going to ask something there. I interrupted you. Oh, well, it was just, um, re- well, first of all, I mean, I'd like to, uh, you know, if, if money was no object, we could actually do a, a full-size version of the Fortel van. That would be very good. <laughs> I've noticed a few a few badges do from time to time hit eBay Teletext merch as well, so there must have been a fair bit of it um, given out. But uh, yeah, no, it's a very nice jumper, Ian. Very, when you still need it, you still need it in April, which is like, I mean, this time last year, we're all sitting in the sun and yeah, uh, it's yeah. freezing, <laughs> absolutely yeah. freezing out there. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had a few questions from chat. Do you mind if we just quickly go to chat? Pixel Blip was making a comment in YouTube chat. He just wanted to say, if it wasn't for Ian, I wouldn't be doing art now in Teletext. Hands up. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, can I just say that Pixel Blip has done some amazing stuff. I'm very impressed, particularly with some of his animations. And the concept of uh, touchscreen Teletext editor, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we're very much looking forward to that. Your editor? Is it currently in the beta stage, Pixel Blip? Let's see. Uh, Pixel Blip says, I wonder if Ian has seen TFAX, etc. Really that before, in the 80s, 90s, was the internet of its day, wasn't it? The way that you broadcast stuff. So yeah, have you seen TFAX, Ian? Uh, I I have, not regularly, but yeah, I'm I'm aware of it, yeah. Oh, there might even be some of your artwork on there that we've uh, stolen, copyrighted artwork of yourself that we've stolen and put on there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we've had some questions from 
Andy Uglyfruit. Are you aware of his work, Andy Jenkinson? I can't say I am. Well, I may have seen some. Is it? It's on. Uh... On Discord. Yeah, I've probably seen some. Yes. Yeah. Well, Andy says, "Forty the dog versus Gossie. Who'd win in an illegal dog fight?" <laughs> you know, Gossie the dog from Digitizer. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not familiar with that at all. <laughs> Well, he has a more serious question. On your site, in the lettering designs page, the lettering designs are fascinating. Do you know where they were used? Do any recovered slash archived pages use any of the typefaces preserved there? Yeah, so do you know or remember where you used them? Yes, some of them were specific to particular channels, like uh, the chunky... uh, Toon text that was certainly done for the cartoon channel. The others I would have used in various places like that. I mean, I can't say specifically where they were, but I would certainly have used pretty well all of them in one way or another. Yes. So, Andy, if you go to Ian's site, you can actually pick out where the different fonts are used, which I think is pretty cool. There's a, a lot of great stuff on your site, Ian. I guess a little bit of digging through the archives was required to find some of these. Is that true? Or did you just have them lying around on a desk somewhere? This would all be stuff that I had on floppy disks that had been sitting around gathering mold for several years. Until a few years ago, I wasn't aware that there was still an interest in teletext. But then I came across the the Facebook page and other things. So that prompted me to dig out my uh, old BBC micros and floppy disks and see what I could rescue from them. So, yeah, all this stuff is uh, from the disks I'd originally created them on. So how many of the discs worked and how many of them just died over the years? How much lost stuff is there? I probably managed to salvage about 75% of what was on the the discs. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff I just don't have at all, like the animations I did for Hands Up or even a lot of the foretell on view animations I just don't have anymore. Yes. Uh, Well, I should imagine there were quite a lot of frames needed to go into the animations, particularly on on Hands Up, which was entirely animated in Teletext. 1990 was the year that Hands Up was produced by Intelfax for Channel 4. The 10-episode television series animated entirely in Mode 7 teaches kids how to use British Sign Language. So yes, can you tell us a little bit more about how that was made, about how the animation was made? Yes. To start with, I had a storyline which was written by Sue Crockford, who was the uh, Channel 4 producer of programs for deaf children. So she wrote the storyline, and a friend called Sue Harris who was a teacher of of deaf children at a school in North London. She advised on the hand hand shapes that had to be incorporated. 
So they got together with her. Being Australian, she was uh, fairly blunt. If she didn't like something, she would say, that's no bloody good. Do it again. (laughs) But that meant they had to get the handshapes exactly right. So that, that was basically the first part of the series, was illustrating the uh, handshapes. Um, we had to create an assortment of characters according to the storyline, which was a bit weird, I think. But I tried to uh, enliven the actual hand signing with odd little characters who'd come on and change the scene and push things about and turn things over, that kind of thing. Is that sort of inspired by the stuff that you did with Fortel on View? Because there's a lot uh, of that, isn't there? There's a lot of little men coming on the stage. and Yeah, that, that's right. I, I think I had a thing about uh, little scene shifters and handymen, the, yeah. this kind of thing. <laughs> I, th- I think it just made it a bit more memorable and, and lively. But as I said, the hand shapes had to be right. So I had to be very careful about getting the hands correct. Did you ever get anything wrong and have to go back and reanimate it? Yes. Hopefully not too many times. Not too many times. There there was one time, it wasn't quite the same thing, but I had created a a whole week's episode. I I think it had taken me about a week to do it. And I was saving it to disk. Well, I thought I was, but in fact, I was wiping it out. So I had to do right. the whole week's episode all over again. Oh, oh no. But it, it's, it's always quicker second time round. Yes, that's what I was about to say. Because <laughs> you always think, oh, I did it perfectly the first time round. But actually, when you redo it, you can correct some of the little mistakes and it's always easier, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a very inspirational piece, this, actually. We're uh, indebted to the person who's archived this. I think, is his name Richard Shaw, right? I believe so, yes. I think I've seen yeah. seen it on... Uh, it's all on YouTube, isn't it? Yes, Richard Shaw, right. But, um, yes. Ian, are you aware of Raquel Myers's artwork? She was also, like Pixel Blip, very inspired by these particular graphics. Yes, I've, I've, I've seen her work, yeah, yeah. I, I think she's taken it very much further, but yeah, it's tremendous. Yeah, because she does stuff on other different computers, doesn't she? Like Commodore. Yeah, but, yeah it's very reminiscent, I would say, of this stuff. Can I ask, did you have much experience in art and design? before you went into doing the teletext stuff? Or was it just a case of learning as you went along? Well, no, I, I was an amateur artist. So I, I did a fair amount of drawing and painting. And also, having had a newspaper background, I was quite interested in layout and typography and that kind of thing. So it, it all added up. It all came in useful and it came to doing Teletext graphics. Okay, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. But you can see there's a definite design sensibility about it that you brought across into the medium. I guess that you wouldn't have been able to if you came in raw. So that's very interesting because 
that stuff from 1990 that we just saw, it seems very professional. And you must really have to know the software and the system to do that sort of thing. It's almost like magic, I would say. <laughs> do you have anything to say about that, Carl, that you want to ask? Uh, yeah, the um, the segregated graphics are an absolute boon, aren't they? Because um, when I'm getting nowhere with a design, you know, I'm about to sort of like um, clear the screen. But if I segregate the graphics, sometimes I get that extra element of definition that's needed for a, for a design. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it doesn't overload the eyes as much, does it? Whereas um, a solid block of white for the hands, you wouldn't actually see... See the differences in the fingers when they're doing the doing the F and the H and, and the G and the things like that, and it's yeah. just, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And I'm just wondering about the the, the segregation feature. It's, it's sort of like um, you don't see it often enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean it's it's very useful because it does round off shapes that would otherwise look incredibly chunky and blocky. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think I used it quite a lot from time to time yeah. yeah it's a very much lesser used um feature of teletext i think very underused and always great to see it i agree carl just changing subject slightly we have a question from thomas <clears throat> pardon me thomas Burvitt, who asks ian from a teletext fan from denmark did an international community of teletext journalists and editors exist Yes. In fact, we had a number of European teletext gatherings. Uh, one in Amsterdam, I went to one in Vienna, where all the various European teletext services got together and exchanged ideas. I you should have had a Eurovision, I, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> the Eurovision yeah. teletext competition. Well, I think there was actually a, a graphics contest at, at one time among uh, the various European teletext setups. I don't know who won it. It wasn't me, but uh, somebody did some splendid graphics. Yeah. They probably cheated and used black as a colour, which is something that you never really did in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> When I went over to Germany, I think, was his name Joachim, who worked at Ardtext? Did you get to meet him? I think it was Joachim. He recently retired. Do you remember uh, Joachim? No, not, oh. not offhand. No. Okay. Yeah, because he'd been with Ardtext since 1980, I think, or certainly the 80s. So there's a chance I, that you I might may, have spoken. Yeah, I may well have met him. Um, I think I think we had a get together in in London on one occasion. You know, European teletext operators. Uh, I may well have met him. Excellent. Thank you very much for that question, Thomas. But I think we've had a mention for a certain canine character over here in our YouTube chat that we haven't <laughs> we haven't really spoken about him much, have we? In addition to hands up. Uh, Andy Jenkinson says they're blooming amazing, by the way. But we've got a couple of questions about Fortel or Forty the dog. I've got a little intro for Forty here. So in 1983, Forty the dog first appears on Fortel on Channel 4 in the UK. 
Designed by Mr. Irving, the popular canine would be featured on Teletext for a whole decade. And Andy asks Andy Jenkinson, how scripted were the foretell stories? Because they're very rambling and unpredictable. I, I, don't, I don't think he means that in a bad way, though. He asks, were the endings of stories actually planned from the start? No, very rarely. Literally, I think, made it up as I went along. <laughs> uh, I would have a vague idea of the story, but I was quite happy to let it take its own course, as it were. So I always found endings the most difficult part of the whole thing. You know, how to round off a story. They had to be sort of finite length, but it could get quite difficult uh, at the end of a story. How the hell am I going to finish this? <laughs> but generally, uh, no, I'd make it up as I went along. So there was no no script. Right. We actually have some screen grabs here. These aren't recovered. I believe those are some photographs that you took. Is that right, Ian? Yes, they're, they're screen photos. You will see as it goes along the variety of different styles that we have. Uh, now, is this one of the earlier pieces? No, not, well, not particularly early, I don't think. It was certainly one of the longest of them, but I really don't have much idea of the chronology of the stories, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's quite a long time ago now. Do you have any That's... ideas of how many stories, foretell stories, you did over the years? as an estimate? Or, I mean, how many pages do you think you might have made? Oh, gosh. Well, the average story was over 12 weeks. There'd be five new frames per story, plus the title page. So that's 60, 60 odd pages. And over 10 years, you know, my memory is a bit hazy, so I'm, 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 I might not have got the dates right, but 10, 2,000, 2,500 pages altogether, something like that. Oh, that's quite a lot. That's a lot of bites. So, out of all the things that you did, all the journalism stuff and all the different graphics and animation projects you did over the years, which one do you think you liked the most, you enjoyed? Do you think it might have been 4T? Yeah, I think I always enjoyed 4T because I could let my imagination run riot. You know? <laughs> I mean, other things were, were enjoyable. and Hands Up was enjoyable, but that wasn't my story, although I enjoyed doing the graphics for it. 4T certainly was, it was fun. Unfortunately, I didn't have all the stories I've managed to retrieve some of them from my old floppy disks, but a lot of them I don't have. Although Jason Robertson and, and others have found parts of stories on, on VHS retrievals and have kindly let me have them. So uh, I've got bits of other stories, but I don't have the whole lot. Well, I think it makes us more grateful for the stuff that we have and the stuff that you have found, such as this complete story which you've uploaded to your YouTube account. 
guys, you can go and see this. What was the title of this? Uh, Night Ride it was. And that's yeah. on Ian's channel, if you want to go and see the full thing. Ian, do you know of Rusty Russ on Twitter? No, I don't. No, okay. No. A proper champion of everything that we uh, that we miss, really. He'll, he'll, on a Sunday, he'll put up the top 20, top 40 with uh, some screen, teletext screen grabs of what yeah. they were. And right. it does a lot of broadcasting. And um, he has a now collection as well. So now that now that's what I call music. I see that posted as well. <laughs> so uh, nice, that, nice, nice that he's actually joined us uh, today as well because uh, we haven't managed to catch up. So it'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um, does he have? But a he question? has something to say. Okay. What does it say, Carl? He says, "Hi there, loving the chat tonight. Curious about your thoughts when Four T ended at the end of 1992, when there was a change in how Fortel would operate in 1993. Would would you?" Be able to elaborate on that at all, Ian? Was um, there a change between 92 and 93? My memory is a bit vague on that, I'm afraid, but as far as I can remember, I stopped doing 40 at least while I was doing Hands Up because that was a whole year's work on really? its own. So I'm not, I really can't remember whether I went back to doing 40 after that or whether that was when it ended. So, I'm sorry, my memory is so vague. Uh, That's fine. Was it, um, I mean, the big shake-up I remember about that time, was that when there was the the change in franchise between Oracle Channel 4 and and when Teletext took over, uh, the Oracle services, was was that what Rusty would be talking about, really? Was there like a, a big change in things, like a new broom sweeping clean or anything like that at all? No, not 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 really. I I know we Fortel got put onto a different section of uh, the ITV output, but I don't think it made a great deal of difference uh, internally. Mm. Mm. Could I just ask a question, Ian? Um, obviously, sure. um, in this, in uh, you know, we we're recording this at a time when um, major output has obviously had to reflect the departure of a of a stately figure, Prince Philip. And there's, I've been reading a lot of um, articles about the code names like the Fourth Bridge, London Bridge, Tower Bridge, and all that for uh, the major state of readiness for when these things happen. Uh, yeah. Was there anything like that ever rehearsed at the teletech services that you worked at? Because um, you know the imminent departure of, uh, of of somebody important was that ever rehearsed uh, where you were? Uh, not that I recall, but I do know that. When I was at CFAX, the the home office, well, they came to us to prepare emergency messages in the event of some catastrophe or nuclear war or something like that. I mean, they they wanted to make use of teletext as a means of telling people what they should do, uh, which was fair enough. But I don't recall that we ever had anything like that for personalities although we were obviously being part of the bbc we were receiving the bbc news service all the time so we would have probably followed whatever instructions came up at the time would you have had a like um slides in preparation or anything like that 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 you'd have to put up with particular wording or anything like that because um i i noticed when the news flash came up in the week the way the bulletin was worded, it was specifically worded 
in, in a way that the Palace had had to do it. And I just wondered if yeah. you had that sort of protocols all lined up. Um, but not not that I recall. No, I mean, I mean if, if something major came up like that, then we would sort of clear the front page, as it were, and, and uh, go to town with whatever it was. But. Uh, not like a newspaper where you have an obituary department with uh, obituaries already written for notable people. We didn't really do that sort of thing. I guess with the technology as well, at some point, Teletext was the latest technology. They might have even considered like putting some of this emergency broadcast stuff in vision with normal broadcast television, perhaps, you know, graphics or something like that to enhance the message that they're trying to get across. So I'm just intrigued to know what the, the home office would be sort of proffering the teletext department of a broadcaster, um, you know, like uh, there's a cloudburst over over Birmingham, please go to page 151 of CFAX or something, you know. Well, yeah, that, that's quite possible. If there were some kind of dire emergency, uh, they would, There'll be instructions on what to do available on CFAX or Oracle or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. Telesect was so instantaneous and spontaneous in a way. So there wasn't a lot of behind the scenes preparation for, for major things like that. It certainly raised uh, some, some chat on the Discord as well things about like uh, when the wind blows and things like that when we've uh, talked about emergency broadcast services so sorry to bring everyone down on a downer uh, about that <laughs> i think it's a relevant thing to ask because that was a prominent thing in everybody's mind in the 80s wasn't it so yeah very much so yeah yep now sarah burgess um who is a a, a regular contributor to our broadcast and hello again sarah she says she loves to drop shadows on the T4 text boxes uh, that, that you did, Ian, and uh, um, it, and she says it's the little details that really make a difference. And I, I got straight away from the intro that you are very, very sort of like very much a details-led guy, and uh, you know you sort of like need to make everything look very professional. And uh, that's one thing I always noticed on the, on like BBC graphics. If anyone could actually master the uh, the black edge drop to make. Uh, a menu or, or a table of contents look like 3D. They they really have nailed it. Yeah, so um, it's an effect that um, I, I certainly enjoy. Is it is what was your favourite effect to enhance something? If you had like a quick three minutes to make something that you had any better, what would be your sort of like secret sauce that you add to it? That's a tricky one. Huh? Yeah, that, you, you know the drop the drop shadow always helps enhance your graphics but find that quite hard to answer because I, it's, it's just um uh, it's probably saying that you, your viewers could probably answer better than the than, than the artists themselves because it's not sometimes the artist is the last person to know about an idiosyncrasy that they, that they include in some of their stuff i guess so it might have been yeah. a very unfair question ian well, one thing I will point out is there is very good use of background graphics, which isn't particularly seen, let's say, in uh, the 90s stuff on Channel 4. The speech bubbles are really good and really clearly defined, I think. And also there's a little bit of use of dithering as well, or uh, checkerboard graphics, which I really like. But I think the thing that particularly defines your graphics is the little men and the little pictogram, small, minor willy, jet set willy style little men. 
that I really love. So, excellent. We'll just go through some of the comments that we've had. Pixel Blip asks, Will Forty meet Turner somehow one day? You know Turner the Worm? Are you, yeah. I'm sure you've seen Turner the Worm. Yeah, yeah, I know Turner. Well, he might, well, I had the idea the other day of making a kind of collage or montage of some of the memorable teletext logos, bits and pieces, characters. So I might well have 40 and turn of the worm included in that. Um, A universe. (laughs) The teletext (laughs) world. But this won't be teletext, it will be a print, you know, like a digital print. Okay. So, but I'm just working on it at the moment, trying to uh, sort my ideas out. But they might well meet on that. I'd buy one of those prints, definitely. The only thing is I haven't got any Turner graphics, I don't think. I could probably steal some from somewhere. Oh, don't worry. We've got plenty for you to steal. <laughs> yeah, there might be some laying around somewhere, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just on that. That, on that subject, Ian, did you ever, during Teletext heyday in the 90s, I guess, did you ever converse with Paul Rose, the creator of Turn of the Worm? I may have done, but again, I can't remember. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm very familiar with the name. I'm, I may have met him, may have talked to him, but uh, I really couldn't say one way or the other. Did you have conversation with the other Teletax services? Like, when you were within Telfax, you were still closely linked with CFAX? Or did you speak to the guys at Oracle? Or Now and then, but not kind of habitually. Although, when Teletax took over from Oracle, you know, Teletax with a capital T, Intelfax loaned me to Teletax to do some graphics for them. Right, right at, at the start, so I I would have met one or two of the Teletext people then. Well, so. sorry to jump in, and we mentioned Paul Rose earlier. I seem to remember on an earlier interview that we did with him a few years ago that he was influenced by yourself, or maybe you even showed him how to make Teletext art. You might not remember now, but I, I, I seem to recall Paul said something about that. Yeah, well, maybe. I'm afraid I have a terrible memory for for, for people I've met. Um, Sorry, I think the conversation that we were having at the time was trying to pinpoint the specific originators of certain styles, of Teletext styles and designs. And I think we agreed that you, your good self, were responsible for quite a few of them. One of the trailblazers for a certain style, a Teletext art style. What do you th- well, what do you think of that? Yeah, well, I I did my own thing, as it were. So uh, as I said before, I was always wanting to make things look professional and, and clear, but also because I was into drawing and painting and that kind of thing, and I, I think I would try to put a kind of dimensionality into a lot of the things I did. So. You know, in 40, you, for example, you might find a lot of scenes where they're going down a passageway or something like that. So you've got a 3D effect. 
and you've got perspectives and things like that. Mm. If you see what I mean, it's not just a flat screen map or mosaic of graphics. It, it's, it's, it's got a kind of depth to it. Well, that, that was the aim anyway in, in some of the things mm. I did. Yeah. So maybe that's what distinguished what I did from what other people did. I don't know. It's just a theory. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that because your stuff did start bringing some of those elements, uh, like I said, with design sensibilities. But sorry, moving on a little bit. Rusty Russ asks, Ian, did you ever put any Easter eggs into any of your Teletext pages? Perhaps not meant for public viewing. <laughs> uh, no, I, I never did. No, sorry, I didn't have the imagination to do that. What about little in jokes between yourself and the rest of the Teletext staff? So you would tell a joke in the office and say, "Oh, that's going in the 4T comic this week." <laughs> I don't recall that happening either. No. So, did other people help you come up with the ideas for Forty? Did you chat with other people in the office and say, "Oh, this would be good"? No, not really. No, it was, it was uh, all your own work. It was all my own work. Although I, I did get comments occasionally, like that ending was a bit of a cop out, wasn't it? Or that kind of thing, you know. So. <laughs> Oh, well, we're all the expert all of a sudden, aren't we, Ian? Why don't we go off and do it ourselves? <laughs> um, did you get comments from the readers? Do you remember any of the fan mail that 40 got? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a huge amount of it, but I was aware that people did enjoy it. I still have one or two letters from fans. But, yeah, though, apart from my mother, there were quite a lot of... Uh, people who enjoyed it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we certainly did, didn't we, Carl? Yeah, it was yeah, it was really good, and uh, it's nice looking back through the uh, the ones that you, you recovered as well and uh, posted up here because uh, the, the the graphics when when you're looking for for new things to do and all that to get inspiration for things that sort of like that I probably saw back in the day but didn't really appreciate. It's been really good to see them again. Yeah. Um, we've had one comment that come in earlier that I just want to... Uh, AXS203, is that Pixel Blip? Pixel is Blip, that, yes. Did we, yeah. Okay, so he says, what does Ian think about level 2.5? It's not <laughs> right, is it, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, well, I never had the chance to uh, play with level 2.5, so uh, from my point of view, it, it's not right, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I it's think it's not cricket. <laughs> no, I, I think if I'd had the chance to do something with it, I would probably have taken to it. But no, uh, I'm strictly uh, level one point five. Strictly myself. an eight colour man. Yeah. <laughs> aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, um, not orange, Dan. Yeah. Uh, so, any last questions from people before we wrap up with the? Ian Irving interview but I have one and it's regarding the very early days of CFAX. Do you remember a lot about what it was like at that time? Do you have any particular memories of the very beginning of CFAX back in the 70s early to mid 70s? Uh, yeah I mean apart from the having to 
take punch paper tapes down to be transmitted. Um, do you mean the the service itself or the uh, surroundings or the... Yeah, I think, a su the, suppose yeah. I mean the office camaraderie, etc. And uh, the, the sort of tech you used, maybe, or... Do you feel, looking back on it now, it was a bit like the Wild West of Teletext? <laughs> no, it, I mean, it was exciting because it was a new technology. Uh, it was tremendous to see the way it got built up, how it became an accepted medium. Um, and there was also always a team spirit. Um, we were all anxious to make it as good as we possibly could. Yeah, we, you know, we used to get together, you know, have a drink in the bar after work, that kind of thing. So uh, it was a good time and quite exciting, really. Uh, ZX Gesser mentions Colin McIntyre. Any memories of him? Yes, uh, I have a lot of memories of Colin. He, he was the real Mr. Cfax. He wasn't so much hands-on in that he didn't do a lot of the keyboard inputting or anything like that, but he was the mastermind, as it were, who was uh, promoting the system and talking to manufacturers and the people who mattered. It was very much down to him that it took on in the way that it did. And it, he, yeah, he was a great guy to work for. Be very, very supportive and very rarely critical in, a, in a, an unpleasant kind of way. So, yeah, a, a great guy. Yeah. Did you keep in touch with him or any of the other guys you worked with over the years? Yes, some of them. Kept in touch with Colin from time to time. He used to send occasional letters which were quite long and full of news and, and what he's been up to what he used to call moss and gravel letters, you know, things that he'd picked up along the way, as it were. Oh. But, um, yeah, and I kept in touch with several other Teletext people, Mort Smith, for example. Yes. Was Colin proud of what Teletext became, do you think? Or did he see it more as, was he more humble about his role in everything and the development of it? Well, I'm, I'm sure he would have been fairly humble about it. I've no doubt he was, he was proud of what CFAX had become, yes. Certainly, uh, you know, it, it owed so much to him that it became an everyday factor in people's lives. Well, it became a staple of people's lives, whether it be like, well, it, it, the, the common thing is always the football scores and, and the uh, cricket you know, and, and things that people look out for, the weather, the stocks are shared. Basically, anything that anyone's got a stake in in life was on on uh, was on CFAX. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and before the days of um, you know satellite and cable TV, where you didn't have a twenty four hour news station, and uh, one hundred and fifty was my go to page for the Envision news. You know, and it was always quite exciting if uh, if if it had moved from one story to another. And whether yeah. it used like a blue border or a red border, depending on what it was, because I think finance had a red border on it sometimes uh, on BBC Two. But yeah, I just want to say, you know, on behalf of a lot of people on the Discord and on the YouTube, thank you, because um, you gave us our first computer in many cases. 
although it's sort of like a, an asynchronous type thing, it was um, it was yeah. our first experience of computer graphics. Yeah. And, um, mm. you know, it's it's been absolutely brilliant to um, actually meet one of your heroes. <laughs> it doesn't sound too gushing, really. But, uh, yeah, it's been good. Sorry, we have one more question from ZX Guesser. Ian, were you mostly left alone by the rest of the BBC to figure out what teletext should be? Or was the news service, etc., breathing down your neck to check that you were doing it properly? We were largely left alone to make what we did of the news, but uh, nobody was kind of breathing down our necks. But we, we had to pretty well be careful. Our, new, our news sources were basically the BBC's general news service, which was a kind of combined version of stuff from BBC correspondents and news agencies and so on, which would come to us on teleprinters. So that was our main source. So in effect, it was already in a way the sort of line that we, we would follow if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But there, there was nobody that I recall who would come and say to us, what you did there was awful or wrong or don't do it again. We were pretty much left to do it our way. That's because you did such a good job, I think. Well, I, I don't think we got much wrong, uh, you know, factually incorrect or... We didn't make too many blunders that would have got us into trouble. But then, you know, we were basically fairly experienced journalists anyway. During the uh, Falklands conflict, we could hear, we had a live feed of what the BBC correspondents out there were reporting back. But we couldn't use that until it had been sanitized by the Ministry of Defense and then edited by the BBC. So that was one instance where we did have to kind of toe the line, as it were. Yeah. But that, that was very unusual. I remember a Brian Hammerhan clip where he sort of, I'll paraphrase, but he said, I'm not allowed to say how many people were involved in the attack, but I counted them all out and I counted them all back in again. Yeah, um, yeah, which is which is um, absolutely brilliant, and it's. Uh, I, I do wonder um, how a service like the one that you were uh, involved with would be now, because the the way it was so professionally done, it, it it never had a personality. What what what? And I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I mean that yeah. when someone tweets, for instance, you've you've always there's always a bent or or an angle or a hot take to be had. But in in that in page one fifty of CFAX, at not one point was there any dog whistling to anybody or anything like that. It just told the news and, and you read that and, yeah. and you took that as the news. Yeah. Yeah. Well that that's what it was about, putting facts over and yeah, we couldn't put any kind of personal slant on things. It's just, it was just a given then as well. Yes. Whereas, uh, whereas now we always looking for the angle, even if we watch it on, on, on broadcast news, we're we're all second guessing why that report is coming before another report, etc. So, we've we've got a luxury of news everywhere now and information everywhere. And in fact, yeah, we, we're yeah. probably a little bit better off when we only had it from one or two sources. That's right. Yeah, bring back CFAX. 
bring it back. There you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll start off nine o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if nobody else has got any questions or anything to say, I think there was just one more thing. Is Forty the dog coming back? I think somebody asked a bit earlier, and I missed that. That's from Pixel Blip. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I'm afraid, in any uh, story form. He might appear, as I say, in that print I have in mind, but yes. um, if I find more of the missing stories, uh, he might well appear on, on his website, 40 Online. But uh, I really depend on people discovering episodes on on the recoveries from VHS and that sort of thing. So there's unlikely to be any more complete stories. Well, you never know. As we collect more pages that we've archived from over the years, we might be able to piece together some stories, even though they are 12 weeks long each. We've got ZX Guesser in the community who's been on this podcast or this live stream in the past explaining how he's put together his Turn of the Worm archive. So right. maybe we could do something similar for Forty the Dog. Yeah, well, I've, I have had some snatches of Forty from Jason Robertson and one or two other people. So I've managed to patch together one or two stories that had missing bits. So you never know what might turn up well, it's a good work in progress that's for sure so uh but even mm. um even if 40 makes it back only in print he's he's a part of the universe now he's canon so uh we'll be looking forward to seeing that again definitely definitely Absolutely. yeah you've, you've had some really good uh positive feedback as well on the discord sarah says that it's been really interesting especially with all the behind the scenes stuff and um, Andy Ugly Fruit says he'd love to read more new bizarre forty uh, stories. So uh, yeah, no, it's, it is good. There's uh, still a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm for it out there. Well, it's great. Uh, it's, it's been great to talk about it, and uh, I'm glad people enjoyed it and still do. Yeah. Well, no, it's been really, really good. Yeah, it's been absolutely wonderful yeah. to speak to you about all of that stuff. I'm sure we've all learned something tonight. I certainly have. And I'm sure you have too, Carlos, haven't you? Stuff we didn't know about Teletext. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I could talk all night about emergency broadcast systems and what I think <laughs> of Twitter and news. So, uh, you know, you, you, you probably do well to restrict myself, Ian. But uh, no, it's been re re really been really good really good uh so D D david w just the last thing says uh 40 and then he's got what's it greater than pudsy what's yes. the ones we mean by that yeah <laughs> is he... there a pudsy the bear graphic Pud or something pudsy the dog he's talking about from britain's got ah. talent uh oh well, yeah there's a meta joke there going on i think yeah, as well uh, an in joke i think regarding digitizer but... and paul rose <laughs> Fortel the dog was certainly better than Pudsey. Okay, so <laughs> thank you very, very, very much for joining us tonight, Ian. It's been well, a pleasure to have you. No, it's, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, yeah. Thanks Thanks for having me. Uh, no so, problem. So a round of applause there in sign language yeah. for Ian. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you. Um, Forty will be blushing oh. as well as me. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. 
Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Okay, thank you, thank you thank both. You. And thanks to everyone who's uh, been listening in. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. All right, cheers. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you, Ian. Bye. Speak soon. <laughs>